You're tuned in to the Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, the local hosts of NPR's Throughline bring a historical context to the headlines. But first, recent protests for racial equity have sparked new debates over statues depicting prominent figures of the Confederacy, as well as others some say are racially derogatory. Recently, groups of protesters have taken matters into their own hands, pulling down a statue of Confederate General Albert Pike in Judiciary Square, This comes weeks after a statue commemorating Confederate soldiers in Alexandria, Virginia, was officially taken down. Here with me to discuss this is Margaret Barthel, a reporter for WAMU. Margaret Barthel, it's good to have you with the Kojo Show team again, if it's only for a little while. (laughs) It's good to be back, Kojo. Margaret, yesterday hundreds of unarmed D.C. National Guardsmen were activated to protect monuments in the district, including the statue of former President Andrew Jackson in Lafayette Square, which protesters tried to take down earlier this week. What happened last night? Yeah, so, um, and you're correct, and the, the key word there is activated. Um, so about 400 National Guard um, troops are on standby. They have not been deployed as of yet to um, support police in, in protecting these statues. Um, other than that, I would say that last night um, was, was the protests were significantly more peaceful um, in contrast to Monday and Tuesday nights, uh, which, which were certainly more tents. Um, protesters did uh, march out on Interstate 395 and and um, stop traffic there for a little while. Um, and when they returned to Black Lives Matter Plaza, um, a police had originally uh, earlier in the week blocked off Lafayette Square and uh, the plaza itself. Uh, but last night, the plaza um, was, was reopened to protesters, um, though now there is fencing around St. John's Church. Um, so, and Lafayette Square is still closed. Um, So that's kind of the situation that we saw last night. You were on the scene earlier this week when protesters attempted to tear down the statue of former President Andrew Jackson in Lafayette Square. What did you see and hear from protesters on the ground there? Yeah, um, so it was it was quite a scene, and and I should should start with that we'd been seeing peaceful protests at Black Lives Matter Plaza for about three weeks, um, but that did change a bit on Monday. Um, on that afternoon, a group of um, Metropolitan Police Department officers um, forcibly removed some tents that had been set up by organizers along H Street, um, and then that evening, a crowd of of more than a hundred people, I would say, um, tried to. To bring down the statue of Andrew Jackson in the center of Lafayette Square. Um, some people brought chains, um, others kind of linked arms around the statue to, to form a, a, a human barrier. <laughs> um, and uh, But they were met with, with significant force um, from Park Police and um, Metropolitan Police Department officers. Um, they used pepper spray, rubber bullets, um, and their batons to force protesters away from the statue and out of the park, ultimately. Um, I spoke with a history teacher um, uh, who uh, had been in the crowd, um, and he had been hit by a baton on his head, um, and, you know, he had a, a big egg on his, his forehead, but um, but he was he told me he was committed to keeping up the protests and pressure, and, and of course, as a history teacher, he was um, thinking a lot about Jackson's legacy as a slaveholder and as the person who oversaw the the Trail of Tears, um, and, you know, really uh, 
thought that the statue, um, you know, had had no place in, um, a, you know, an important uh, sort of part of D.C. and and told me that um, I think his quote was symbolic politics are important. So um, so that and that was definitely the prevailing attitude I heard from protesters on the ground. Last week, the district's only outdoor Confederate statue was torn down by protesters in Judiciary Square. This is not the first time, though, that the Albert Pike statue has been a source of tension. Who else has fought for its removal in the past? Yeah, these calls for for the Albert Pike statue removal have been recurring for a long time, and I'm sure you know better than I do, Kojo. Um, In 1992, um, there were weekly protests there, um, and then at large, uh, D.C. Council member Bill Lightfoot was calling for its removal. Um, Those those calls for removal came back in 2017 um, after the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. Um, Mayor Bowser, Attorney General Carl seen um, more than half of the D.C. Council, including uh, then Ward 2 uh, Council Member Jack Evans, uh, who hired a crane to attempt to, to remove the statue, all really thought that it, it had no place in D.C. Um, but they, uh, they, they were kind of foiled by uh, the National Park Service. Um, one of their lawyers said it would be illegal to remove um, the statue without congressional approval. Well, we reached out to the National Park Service to find out if there are any plans to restore the Pike statue. It has been reported that President Trump has personally requested that the statue be put back up. The National Park Service has not responded to our request for comment up till this point. Joining us now is Ida Jones. Ida Jones is an archivist at Morgan State University. Ida Jones, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon, Kojo. Thank you for having me. Ida Jones, the controversy around these statues is not new. There have been debates over memorials and monuments for decades, but something seems to have shifted. We seem to be at a kind of turning point. What do you make of this moment? Well, unlike previous eras in which people have argued these things come down, we are now forced inside with the COVID to now force and face ourselves as individuals, as citizens, and as a nation. Also coupled with the technology, we now can see universally at the same time globally these kinds of incidences in which African people have been abused and mistreated. And so this movement, in terms of its effectiveness, is now linking this to an international money system that was funded by the transatlantic slave trade. So it was impoverishing Africa and enriching both America and Europe. So now we're seeing that African people globally have been systematically placed on the bottom to benefit an economic system that was to their detriment. So that is what makes this particular moment much more relevant in the 21st century as we move forward. Well, some people argue that these statues should be allowed to remain standing in the name of educating the public. Do you believe these monuments still serve an educational purpose? I do, because once we get past the emotion of the ugliness that has happened to the number of persons, beginning with George Floyd and a concophony of names of persons who have been victims of police violence, we need to kind of move to education. So there is the, the anger and the emotion that leads to performative activities such as the taking down of statues or the spray painting of buildings, which I have personal issue with, but I understand where that comes from because that's an emotional experience that has to go through gradual phases. The next level should then be policy and legislative changes coupled with education that is ongoing, not episodic. So it's not going to be limited to one particular month or one particular week where we now focus on these people. It needs to be continually in the in- incredibly important curriculum curriculum of ongoing learning. So those statues that are remaining should remain. 
and they should be used as points of education and points of reference, like I had mentioned in Auschwitz or where we go to a Cambodia with Pol Pot, and you see those moments and understand the ugliness of humanity's inhumanity to man. That's uh, what they should be serving as. Um, joining us now is Justin Wilson. He is the mayor of the city of Alexandria. Mayor Wilson, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Koja. It's great to be back. At the start of this month, a statue commemorating Confederate soldiers in Alexandria was removed. How old are debates over that statue, and why was it taken down now? Um, well, this is something we have, uh, there have been activists in our community that have been working to move this statue for 50, 60 years. Um, so this is not a new um, discussion for us in the city. Um, ultimately, the General Assembly uh, enacted legislation during their session earlier this year in, uh, in, in January, um, which uh, allowed uh, Alexandria to, uh, to ask the owner of this statue to move uh, the statue out of public right away. And so um, that law goes into effect actually uh, next week. Ultimately, the owner of the statue uh, made the decision uh, to move it in advance um, due to some of the uh, the uh, uh, protests that had been occurring and their fear that someone might uh, try to damage it. Um, but this has long been the city's uh, policy for a number of years now to pursue movement of the statue. And finally, the General Assembly gave us the authority to do so. The owners are the Daughters of the Confederacy. How have community members reacted to the removal of the Appomattox statue? You know, I think generally in our community, uh, uh, certainly in recent years, this has been something that uh, that uh, very large swaths of our community um, wanted to see us uh, pursue. I think they saw this um, uh, statue as a symbol of the uh, violent subjugation of an entire portion of our population uh, for a long time and really the fight uh, for uh, preserving that system. And so... Um, you know, but really for Alexandria, this is a part of a larger effort for us um, to tell a more inclusive um, uh, story of our history. I think in, in the past we have only told a small portion of our history, um, one portion of our population's history, and we have committed ourselves over the last several decades um, to uh, to trying to change that. And um, you know, we recently purchased Freedom House, which is the was the headquarters of the largest domestic slave trading operation um, in the United States for a long period of time. And uh, we are uh, expanding the museum there um, to ensure that that story is told and continues to be an education for our community. Um, we restore the Contrabands Memorial Cemetery. So th these are important uh, landmarks for us. Here now is Stephen in Ashburn, Virginia. Stephen, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, yes, Kojo. Because uh, I'd, I'd uh, like to say that um, I'm actually a, a person who's made a 180-degree turn on on this uh, issue. Um, I had recently, or in the past, visited Dachau and was impressed with how they had preserved the history there and always believed that these statues were part of our history and should be preserved. However, uh, uh, I've you only have about 30 seconds that, left. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've recently realized that, um, you know, I cheered when the Berlin wall came down. I cheered when statues of Stalin and Lenin were per pulled down in Russia. And I cheered when statues of Saddam Hussein were pulled down, so why should okay. I not apply that same thing here? Got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. You can still give us a call at 800-433-8850. Are there any historical figures that you believe have been overlooked who deserve to be memorialized by a statue? I'm Kojo Nandi.
Welcome back. We're talking about the debate over local statues with Justin Wilson, the mayor of the city of Alexandria. Ida Jones is an archivist at Morgan State University, and Margaret Barthel is a reporter for WAMU. We're taking your calls at 800-433-8850. Ida Jones, a caller who can stay on the line, said, leave the statues up. If the statues are removed, you waive your right to replace them. At this point, statues are basically art. The world has changed, and we will continue to change. The Civil War was the beginning of the freedom of slavery. The Confederacy lost. Think of what our country would be if we hadn't had the Civil War. How would you respond to that, caller, Ida Jones? Outside of the art, there's also an educational aspect here. And so as a result, when you look at children or international visitors coming to a country, they want to experience the culture and the history of that country. If these objects are removed, then that ends the, the understanding of what was glorified at one particular time. So at some point in time, we, we have evolved since then. There has been a lot of history since then. So I think those uh, artifacts or those memorials become touchstones of conversation and points of information and also a baseline to know that when you hear that rhetoric rising again in such political climates that we're living in, you will know what the outcome will be. So you're able to kind of preempt a future reoccurrence of a past experience. Mayor Wilson, what does the future hold for the Appomattox statue? Are there plans to move it to a new location? Um, so the statues owned by the the daughters of the Confederacy, they have not uh, disclosed to us or to the public really what they plan to do with it. They they have it now in their possession, and presumably they'll uh, they'll put it somewhere. Um, they've just indicated it will be outside the uh, the city. So um, so we don't know. Um, you know, and I would kind of draw a distinction though between um, the preservation of uh, historic sites and memorials that pay tribute to to different individuals. I think those are a very different um, thing. Obviously, Alexandria takes its preservation responsibility very, very seriously. And we work very hard and commit a lot of resources to preserving historic sites in our community. I find that different and distinct from a statue that is in this case paying tribute to those who fought um, for uh, for the South in the Confederacy or fought for the Confederacy in the Civil War. And so I, I really think there's a distinction there. I mean, we are very committed to preserving historic sites. That's That's very, very different. Margaret Barthel, the statues of Pike and Jackson are not the only sources of controversy. A petition calling for the removal of a statue of Abraham Lincoln has been gaining traction. What does that statue depict, and why are some calling for it to be taken down? Yeah, um, so this is uh, the the so-called emancipation statue in Lincoln Park on Capitol Hill, um, and it, it depicts Lincoln kind of standing and, and almost towering over a, a kneeling, um, freed black man who is shirtless. Um, he has broken shackles on his kind of outstretched um, wrists, and um, you know there are some uh, who say that that it's a kind of a subservient attitude and. Um, so more than 5,000 people have at this point have signed a petition um, who and, and stating that they feel that the statue, and I'll, I'll quote a little bit here, um, perpetuates the idea that we are, uh, are uh, beneath white people and should be simply grateful for the scraps thrown our way. Um, that petition was actually started by Marcus Goodwin, who is a candidate for an at-large seat on the D.C. Council. Um, and, and so those conversations are ongoing. But it is my understanding that former slaves paid for that statue. 
Yes, that's right. Um, so the funding for the statue was actually mostly in small donations um, from formerly enslaved people, um, many of them black veterans of the Union Army. Um, and they wanted to memorialize Lincoln um, after his assassination in 1865. Um, but uh, the money and the commissioning of the statue was actually handled by uh, white organizations. And um, that's significant to the protesters um, who who don't believe that that the statue should stay. Um, Marcus Goodwin told me that that he has a hard time believing that the statue is essentially the best depiction that his ancestors could have hoped for um, in in sending their hard-earned uh, money in to, uh, to memorialize uh, the president. So is he calling for the statue to be removed or to be reorganized, so to speak? Um, for, for the removal, I think there are other voices who are um, also suggesting that perhaps the, there, there could be some sort of edit or, or change to the statue itself um, that would um, kind of correct the power imbalance that, um, that, that, that you see in the depiction it presents. Here's Michael in Milboro, Delaware. Michael, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. Good to talk to you. Basically, uh, my concern right now with all the the rhetoric being uttered about uh, uh, removing statues is that, uh, in a sense, we're kind of rewriting history. I would much rather see the statues retained with suitable editing or a new plaque that depicts the the, uh, statues... uh, the rendition of the statue's uh, persona uh, as having contributed to, sl- to slavery by the fact of his victories or perhaps the lack of them. Another concern I have is how far can this reach? Are, are we going to be talking about rewriting uh, grade school and high school textbooks in this regard? To Yes, uh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So that's that's my fear about this. I don't think history should be rewritten, basically. Well, the fact that the well, I let I let I, I, Ida Jones respond to this because she is the archivist. Well, Kojar, I think we have a very symbiotic idea about this um, with our Howard affiliation, and I do appreciate the caller's observation that seemingly, if you tear everything down, then what is there? What America has suffered with is a level of amnesia and selective retention. So, as a result, what needs to be done is a corrective to this narrative, which has been gladly, unfortunately, skewed to the benefit of some and to the detriment of others. So, at the end of the day, I am in total favor that they remain. The objects need to remain. They need to be critically analyzed and understood of the level of depravity. Once again, to education, Lerone Bennett writes a book, Forced into Glory, that goes into great detail about Lincoln's political um, ambidextrous nature, that if he could have preserved slavery and the Union, he would have done both. So he was not oblivious to what he was trying to do. They have since sanitized Lincoln and made him some glorious emancipator, as if the African enslaved had nothing to do with their own liberation. So that, once again, is that amnesia, that selective retention. And I must also give two plugs, if possible, to the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. ASALH, for over 110 years, has been promoting the study of African American history and culture, founded by Carter G. Woodson in 1915. We're an open organization. We're an active organization. We welcome your membership. Visit us and join us and participate in the systemic, ongoing conversation about integrating the 
obscure narratives into the master narrative and taking away the amnesia. And secondly, they're going to be having a teach-in at Lincoln Park on tomorrow by a variety of Douglasonians and Lincoln scholars and reenactors to kind of situate that sculpture in the time in which it was crafted and con conceived. So we can't erase the time period. We need to contextualize that and live in concert with our past in full view of those actors who participated. We only have about a minute left, Ida Jones, but you mentioned the time in which they were conceived. There are several Confederate statues across the region. When were these statues erected and why? Now, that's interesting. I did some research on Andrew Jackson, and that was done in the 1850s. But some of the more, I guess, vulgar examples, like the Richmond Monument Boulevard, those were done in the first quarter of the 20th century, done by affinity groups such as the United Daughters of the Confederacy and other individuals who felt their heritage was being lost. So they set up these totems and these lovely mammoth sculptures to kind of call our attention to what they want to remember as the past and who their ancestors were. It leads into the overall amnesia of the American narrative where some groups are marginalized and other groups are amplified. So those affinity groups in various parts of the country, not just simply the South, I'm sure we have them in New England, I'm sure we have them in the West, where individuals who are selected for being patriots and heroes of a particular time to a particular group were celebrated. And I'm not against them celebrating who they are. It needs to be done in concert with the other side of this personality, the other side of the story, that includes all of those marginalized groups from landless white men all the way down to African-American women. Because we want to think that all white men were included. Not true. So as a result, there's a lot of us who are left outside of this pale of consideration and those who have simply put themselves in the center. So to broaden this one narrow mindset, we need to expand it to include all of us. And I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Ida Jones, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so very much. Mayor Justin Wilson, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Margaret Barthel, always a pleasure. Thank you, Kojo. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be looking at the co-hosts, or we'll be talking with the local co-hosts of NPR's Through Line, who bring a historical context to the headlines. I'm Kojo Nandi. <laughs> 